everyone, and welcome to an episode of That's What B Said. I'm your host, Bree, at Breezy Clee. I'm joined by Ms. Meredith Kane tonight at MCAN Sports. Hello, Meredith. Good evening. Hello. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy my Valentine's Valentine. Day. Yes. This is a very special romantic episode this evening. Things are going to get nice and sexy. That's right. We have a date. This is our, this is my date. My date. Yes. Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Super Bowl is over. NFL is over. Kind of sad about that. Um, we're going to get into just some recapping of the game because somehow the Browns were involved in all of this, even though they weren't playing in the Super Bowl. And then we have a lot of Cavs chat to talk about because it's been exciting and the All-Star game is upon us. So we've got a fun little episode on this Valentine's Day evening uh, to get you guys through the week. Yeah. And uh, in, I would say, 24 to 48 hours, the tourists are going to start descending onto the Hey, you guys, though, are lucking out up there in Cleveland because I'm hoping that the snow is melting and it's going to be like in the 50s later this week, right? Yeah, I think so. So I think I saw, and this is just... (laughs) This is just my Weather Channel obsessed dad. And you, you've you seen the emails that I get from my dad sometimes. Uh, yes. He emailed me today. I like with that a, he emails you as if he's texting yes, you. He does. Which is funny because he knows how to text. He even knows how to send gifts. He has sent me gifts before. <laughs> like he is like he understands. Like he's a boomer who knows technology. But yeah, he emails me like he's texting me. And so he looked at the weather report for this weekend. And I guess supposedly there might be some snow on Friday. But um, I'll tell you what, though, the city of Cleveland has gone balls to the wall with removing the snow that was downtown. There were dump trucks and bulldozers in downtown Cleveland last week that were like picking up the snow and carting it off somewhere um i don't know where there are still piles of snow in my parking lot that are taller than i am um but then again i'm not immediately downtown so you know there's no reason for the city of cleveland to like remove the snow in my area but yeah they they're really trying hard to remove a lot of the snow at least around um Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, and I think they were doing a lot down East 9th as well. So um, it's certainly making it easier to drive and walk places downtown because it's uh, it's not easy walking around downtown when there's piles of snow that go up to your knees. So, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah, the weather gods are at least uh, with us. And I think I saw my first tourist earlier tonight, too. Oh, exciting. Yeah. And I'm just assuming that they're a tourist because they were holding um, a gift bag from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And like, that's not something that a local person would do. So, yes. you know, walking around with a gift bag from a tourist attraction. So okay. I don't know. When I was in high school, me and one of my friends used to, we used to do like picnics in downtown D.C., in like the tourist areas, like on the National Mall, not because it was a nice place to have a picnic, but because we would try to like pick out who was a tourist and who was a local. So, like, this is something I've been doing my entire life. I can spot a tourist from a mile away. There you go. It's I'm my sure sp- They're, they're going to be coming in droves. In it's, my, it's my special talent. <laughs> Too bad I can't monetize it, but it's my special talent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's get into the Super Bowl a little bit. Um, so, as we know, at this point in time, the Bengals lost, Rams won, which means that our boy Odell Beckham got his God, Super Bowl ring. ring. 
He got his ring. I'm I'm proud of him. Like I don't know why people were like cheering against him or cheering against the Rams because of him. That seems really weird. Like I was thinking about it today and it just feels like like it feels like everyone who is upset about OBJ is clearly the bitter ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Like OBJ won the breakup. He's doing well with his new boo and like his new boo got him a ring and he's happy and everyone is like can't stop talking about him and can't stop obsessing about him and I'm like this is this is what losing the breakup looks like when you're that bitter ex that can't stop talking and can't stop thinking when clearly the other person has moved on. Yeah, I mean it was he scored the first touchdown of the game which you know, there's I think a lot of Browns fans that were annoyed by that. And, you know, unfortunately for us as Browns fans, the Browns kept coming up during the broadcast. And specifically so, a bit of a false narrative that Al Michaels pointed out broadcasting to the millions of people watching the Super Bowl that probably have no idea anything about Odell Beckham or the Cleveland Browns for that matter. But the way that the story and the narrative has shifted to the victim mentality with OBJ and that the Browns kicked OBJ to the curb and like left him out there to die. We just need to set the record straight. And everybody listening to our podcast already knows this, but maybe we'll catch some people that don't know this. Andrew Barry allowed this man an opportunity to go to a team of his choosing, essentially, by releasing him from the team after his father put out the controversial IG post of Odell getting open and Baker Mayfield not throwing him the ball. So where I'm at with this whole thing is I've always been an OBJ supporter and a fan. I, you know, I didn't like how everything played out. I wish it would have went differently. I wish it would have worked out for the Browns. And when it wasn't working out, like you could just tell things were not working out. I wish he would have addressed it differently. I don't know if I believe that he didn't know his father was posting the IG post, even if he's saying that the damage was already done. And I think he wanted to paint himself in a good picture and tried to redeem himself after that by saying that he showed up to the facility and he was expecting to practice and to still be on the team. So I, I think as a Browns fan and someone that likes OBJ, I think you it's okay to be happy for him that he won his ring and like him as a person, but also be mad about this whole storyline that is out there. Yeah, it it's really weird the way the media is painting it and and they're essentially rewriting history. Yeah. Um that was very weird to me, especially since like the New York media wasn't particularly kind to Odell Beckham Jr. The Cleveland media loved him until that drama happened mid-season but up until then he was really well liked among the Cleveland media members so I I don't know where this like OBJ ass kissing is coming from uh with with NBC sports I don't know it was really weird um and it's almost it almost feels like they were trying to gaslight us you know like, what else is weird too, Meredith? What, and what happened? Like, OBJ has kind of been painted as this diva and, you know, he's he's a me person and he's selfish and he's not a team player, which when you 
look at anything, any former teammate of his or current teammate of his, that's not what they say about OBJ. In fact, they say the opposite. But for whatever reason, this is the story that the media or that even fans that don't like him try to paint about him. And I think that kind of plays into it a little bit too with, you know, he didn't work in Cleveland. So Browns fans, I think initially when we we got OBJ in that trade, we were very excited about OBJ. And I think we were all willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Like he's going to be a changed man. He's different. He wants to win. He wants to come here. He was talking about how he felt you know, at peace with the situation and he was in a good place. His best friend played on the team. So like, it felt like it was a good match for all of us. But then when the performance really didn't live up to our standards and 2019 was a rough year and then he got injured in 2020 and then obviously this past year didn't go as expected, then he became this villain to Browns fans. And and then Browns fans started disliking him and he was a problem and he was the reason Baker Mayfield was so bad and Baker was better without him and OBJ was a me guy and we didn't need him on the team anymore. We needed to get rid of him. And then when they got rid of him or they, you know, released him. They let him go. Like, they let they, him go. They gave him what the, the Browns front office gave Odell Beckham Jr. what he wanted. And I feel like so when OBJ says that it was an amicable split. I do kind of believe him because yes. of that. Like, I think if the Browns had held on to him or traded him for peanuts, then I don't think it would have been an amicable split. Correct. But they, they released him, which gave him the ability to sign wherever he wanted. So I think that that was, you know, Andrew Barry and Odell Beckham Jr. sitting down and talking like adults and realizing, you know, hey, this situation isn't really working out. It's better for both of us, you know, if this happens. And he did it. So I just. Yeah, it was respectable on right. both sides. Respectful on both sides. But I think where this whole, like, his rebirth and, like, all this attention, this positive light on OBJ is coming out again because of how bad it was in Cleveland. And as a Browns fan, I hate to say that. But when you think about it, like, 2019 was a disaster. Mm-hmm. 2020 he was injured and wasn't there and then this past year we know how that all played out and every single week it was like OBJ and Baker can't connect there's no chemistry is OBJ or bad for Baker me I mean it was just this constant like I don't know this cloud that followed him in Cleveland so I understand like then going to this place where he was getting receptions and he was catching the ball and he was playing really well, even if he wasn't getting, you know, 100-yard games every single week, he was making an impact regardless, more of an impact than he made at Cleveland. So, like, I get I get the whole kind of rebirth, rebirthing of OBJ and this positive light. Yeah, that's frustrating as Browns fans, but, you know, it kind of was just it's the reality, opposite though. of what happened from when he was in a Cleveland uniform. Yeah, I mean, and I, I've been a fan of Odell Beckham Jr. forever. I was not happy with the narrative surrounding him when he was in New York. And that was one of the reasons why I was so thrilled when he came to the Browns is because I just wanted him to have so much success. And I was hoping that success would come in Cleveland, and it didn't. But it came with L.A., so I'm happy for him. Like, I wasn't really cheering super hard for one team or the other 
last night. Like, I hate to to say that, but like, I didn't have a rooting interest in the game. Like when Joe Burrow made a good play, I was happy for him. When Odell Beckham yeah. Jr. got that touchdown, I was happy. When Odell Beckham Jr. got injured, I was really upset. And I've just been really happy for OBJ that he has, I guess, kind of found his stride. And I remember in the NFC championship game, like they even brought up this narrative of OBJ being a bad teammate and Matt Stafford making comments about how that's not true. And I was sitting there thinking, how many effing teammates need to come out and say that Odell Beckham Jr. is a good guy and a good teammate and a team player for these storylines to go away? Because I don't think that there is a single person who has played with OBJ that has said anything bad about him as either a person or a teammate. And it's so annoying when you see these national games and you hear that, that question come up to his teammates and you hear that storyline come up in the announcers during the game. And it's like, for fuck's sake, like how many former teammates, how many current teammates need to talk about how much they love OBJ for you to believe them. It's almost like they keep they keep getting asked this question because somebody wants them to speak ill of OBJ. But nobody is going to because they all love him. It's ridiculous. It's so annoying. I just, I wish they would let that go. And I kind of feel like they did. But instead of letting go completely, that's when they tried to gaslight the city of Cleveland and rewrite history for Browns fans in the Super Bowl. So it was just everything surrounding OBJ is annoying to me in that sense. Um, I feel like, oh gosh, what is it? Occam's razor, the simplest solution, or was it the simplest explanation is usually the solution. Like, I wish we could take that approach with OBJ. It's just he struggled in New York because it was a bad situation he didn't do well in Cleveland. Now he's doing well with Los Angeles. He's not a bad person. He's not a bad teammate. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter bringing up the comments to Von Miller again. Like, oh, that's why they got mad at him. And that's why they didn't like him because he told Von Miller not to come to Cleveland. And I said it on our last episode and I'll say it again. Stop taking it personally. Like he didn't say that because he hates Cleveland. He said that because Von Miller wanted to go to a Super Bowl winning team And OBJ knew this team wasn't going to go to the Super Bowl. And OBJ also knew that he was going to leave Cleveland either at the end of his contract or earlier. And so he didn't want his friend to pick up and move his life to a city if he was just going to up and leave. Again, OBJ is a good guy and he's a good teammate. He's like none of none of those comments to Von Miller had anything to do with the city of Cleveland or even the Browns themselves. I just think that people need to stop taking it personally and just let it go. Yeah. Just let it go. The only thing, and I'll say this and we can move on because, you know, it's getting so old. Like, we all need yeah. to, to move on from this. Yeah. And just look ahead. Look ahead. I just, the only thing that I wished that would maybe go differently, and I don't think this will ever happen, I wish he would have given some insight as to at least saying, like, the Browns, it didn't work out, but I have a lot of respect for the organization and Andrew Barry, and I'm grateful that it it happened the way that it happened. Right? Like, right, just giving yeah. some sort of 
not credit or gratitude necessarily to Andrew Barry, but Andrew Barry is a very smart guy. And I also think he is respected by his players. And I think you he could have been extremely petty in the situation, immature about everything. And he chose to just treat it all as like person to person, as a human, being a good person and saying, hey, we're not going to hold him hostage here and, right. and make him be a Cleveland Brown. We're going to give him an opportunity to go to another team. And that obviously all worked out for OBJ because he has a Super Bowl ring now. Yeah, his his new boo gave him a ring. That's right. Although I really, really hope that he does bounce back from injury because he did. I, I think they I think they were saying that it was a torn ACL. Um, I don't know if there was like a confirmed report. That was just the um, the initial rumors that it's a torn ACL and it's the same ACL that he tore in 2020. And I just my heart hurts for him because yeah. that like. He doesn't deserve that. So, and I, I and hope if you he celebrated I, his injury, then you were a shitty human. Yeah. If you celebrated his injury, you need therapy. Like, cause that's just awful. So I really hope he's able to bounce back and he's able to get better, but gosh, to injure the same area twice in barely two years. That's so awful. Like I, like, and I'm not comparing myself to an NFL wide receiver, but you know, I tore my meniscus in 2019, and then a few weeks ago, I took a really bad fall on the ice, and I hit the knee of the, uh, it, like, it was my left knee that I hit, and that was the knee that I tore my meniscus in, and I was in so much pain for the rest of the day, and I was, like, crying, and, like, the worst part, and I told you guys this, it happened on my way into work, and I'm sobbing because I'm in so much pain, and I literally had to go to work covered in dirt and ice because I slipped on the ice sobbing and I'm sobbing the entire work day. I just can't, st I just couldn't stop because I was, was in so much pain. And thankfully I don't think I re-injured um, the, the meniscus tear, but like my knee hurt for two weeks after that. And my biggest fear is something similar happening to me that happened in 2019 when I tore my meniscus and for OBJ for that exact thing to happen. Like I just, I'm praying for a speedy recovery for him because yeah. I just like, it, it gives me nightmares just thinking about that. I know my husband and I were talking and we both like looked at each other and we were like, after the game ended and we were like, do you think he'll hang it up? Like, do you think he's really going to consider retiring? And I was like, potentially like it's just yeah. so much mentally to go through that again. Yeah, because he even talked about that at his um, youth camp yeah. last summer. He talked about the mental aspect of injury recovery and how hard it was for him mentally to come back from injury. And I know that there was a lot of criticism surrounding his return because, because I guess, doctors or people were saying that he was ready to come back, but he wasn't playing and he was getting a lot of criticism for it, but he mentioned that it was a mental aspect. And I'm like, you can't discount the mental aspect of physical injuries. So I I just, I, I hope, I hope things turn out okay for him because I will always be a fan of OBJ and I don't care what anybody else says. Yes. Um. Okay, so moving on, Mayor, any other storylines coming out of the game that you enjoyed, latched onto? Um, I'm trying to think. 
It feels like so long ago. It was less than 24 hours ago. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I love, I love seeing the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase connection. Like that was so much fun to watch. Um, I think that's a very scary thing for the Browns. Um, and then I couldn't help but think about Joe Burrow's offensive line because Cincinnati had a terrible offensive line and you know there's there's a reason he was sacked seven times yeah last night and I just and I hate that this is where my mind went but I couldn't help but think well what if he played for the Browns and he played behind you know Joe Batonio and Wyatt Teller and you know what if what if the Browns offensive line was his offensive line like yeah oh Oh boy. Yeah, I was just um I I was just happy for Matt Stafford, you know, being in yeah. Detroit for so long and not ever even making the playoffs and all the loyalty he gave to Detroit and then going to LA and you know, obviously they kind of put together the super team. Like that doesn't really happen in football, but they No, it doesn't. But like they did cuz they, they got, put all they their got... chips into the table and it yeah. you know, they got the superstars and and it paid off and so for for him, you know, I don't know. I was just I was just really happy for him that, that he finally got a Super Bowl ring and you know that worked out in Cooper Cup, like really like him and Aaron Donald and even though these guys are superstars, like it was just it, it was fun because like it was a different different players in the Super Bowl and Right. And so I think probably one of the reasons why I enjoyed the game so much is not only was it it was an exciting game, first off, but secondly, both these teams were likable. Like there was I, I yes. mean, as opposed to all of those years with Tom Brady and the Patriots, where I'm just so sick of seeing Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, like so sick of seeing the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And then he goes to the Buccaneers and then the Buccaneers are in the Super Bowl. Like it just <laughs> like, I, I mean, I've softened my stance on Tom Brady over the years. Yeah. But I still find him annoying, you know, and I wasn't actively cheering against either team because they were both so likable. So I think that's fun. Like, I want more likable teams yes, in the agreed. Super Bowl. Can that be a thing? Like, I was actively cheering against the 49ers because I have heard that Jimmy Garoppolo is not a kind human being. Um, I've heard from friends of mine out in that area that have had firsthand knowledge that he just refuses to tip ever, oh. even though he's a multimillionaire. And I'm just like, well, like if I, if you're the type of person who doesn't tip, you're automatically on my shit list. So like, <laughs> so I'm like actively rooting against the 49ers, you know, and then all of a sudden, Oh, Hey, like it's the Rams. There's, you know, no, as far as we know, nobody has like a shitty personality you yes. know so it was it was great that both teams were just genuinely likable and the game itself was really exciting so even if you didn't have a rooting interest it was still something to enjoy agreed um and then i have a question for you too that i want to get into a little bit how did you feel as a browns fan watching the game cuz i couldn't help but think of two things. And I want to get into them, and then um, I'll get your thoughts. So it was pretty apparent that solid quarterback play for the Browns and an upgrade in the wide receiver room, like having a legitimate threat in the passing game, will make a huge difference on the team, as evidenced with the Matt Stafford-Cooper Cup connection, the Jamar mm -hmm. Chase and the Joe Burrow connection. Um I mean, when I look at the Browns roster, like they're really not that far off. Like they have a lot of really solid pieces on the team. 
But it comes down to the most important piece, and that is the quarterback. And quite frankly, like that is the big question mark going into next season. Also, wide receivers are a, are a big deal. Yes. Um, you know, there have been there were there were a lot of times, and I think I saw a tweet somewhere that um at one point during the game, Sean McVay said to his offensive coordinators, like, hey, we need to start throwing. We're not going to win this on the ground. And that's a little worrying because the Browns' two best offensive pieces are running backs yes. in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And there have been so many times during the Brown season where Nick Chubb just couldn't get a yard out. Like, every defense was scheming specifically for him. Yeah, because we didn't you have know, a passing game. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and 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 like and that's exactly what happened in with the Rams last night. Like anytime one of their running backs touched the ball, it was you know, tackle at the line of scrimmage or a loss for loss for yards. And that was one of the things that worried me watching it from a Browns perspective is saying, "Well, oh crap. Like the Browns' best offensive weapons are running backs and we saw what happened to them during the regular season and how difficult it was for them to get off the ground in a Super Bowl situation, that exact same thing would have happened. So I just, I'm jealous of the point in time where we thought the wide receiver room on the Browns is super flush. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. And they're going to, I think that's the, to me, I feel like wide receiver is more important to address in free agency than the quarterback position for the Browns. Um, I think that's what Andrew Barry needs to focus on is finding a good veteran wide receiver for a few reasons. Um, Just seeing that it's become a very pass happy league for one. And secondly, as far as available quarterbacks go, like, and I know that this isn't what a lot of people want to hear. Baker's one of the better ones out there. You know, I don't know that the Browns will be able to go and get a quarterback that's better than Baker Mayfield. And he's got one more year. And if he pops off this year, then hell yeah, give him an extension. He's our franchise quarterback. But, you know, are you going to give up an arm and a leg for Russell Wilson? Are you going to take a chance on Deshaun Watson? Like, are you going to go after Marcus Mariota? Like, these guys are all good, not great quarterbacks. And that's kind of where Baker is. He's good, not great. And I don't want the Browns to have to give up weapons to try just because they think that they can find a better, good, not great quarterback than Baker Mayfield is. So that's kind of my takeaways from the Super Bowl last night is Andrew Barry's got to find a wide receiver in, in free agency. Like that's so important. Yeah, it was pretty glaring. And, and I think too, like we know we have a really strong run game specifically, but I don't know if it means a lot if you don't have a passing game to balance it. Like right. clearly you need you need both. And you also need a quarterback that's that's competent and that can make plays when plays need to be made. So um I mean, I will say Matt Stafford, when OBJ went down, like it did feel like the Rams offense kind of sputtered a bit because the guys that then came in to replace him, you know, there were some drops, there was some hesitation, there was some overthrows, just, you know, a lack of connection there. And Cooper Cup was being double teamed and he was having a harder time get open. But, you know, when it mattered the most, they made plays mm-hmm. when it counted. And this is going to sound crazy. This might sound crazy, but I know, you know, we lo- we watched this kind of playoff run of the Bengals this postseason 
scare us a little bit, right? Because you looked at Joe Burrow and you were like, crap, we got to face this guy in the AFC North for the next 15 years, right? Yeah. We're all sitting there like, oh, no. Like, of course. Of course this is going to happen when Big Ben retires. You've got Joe Burrow coming up. He's on the up and up. But, like, oddly enough, watching that game last night, like, I have hope for the Browns. And credit to Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Like, I'm not discrediting them at all. And just because they lost the Super Bowl, I'm not saying that they're completely done and they're never going to come back and be good. I just think that they are a prime example of getting hot at the right moment. Mm-hmm. And we should just remind ourselves that the NFL is set up to have parity year after year. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and he's only won one Super Bowl. Outside of Tom Brady and whatever team he plays for, there hasn't been a team or a player that has really dominated. So, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, any team can get to the Super Bowl, and I don't think the Browns are really that far off. Do you want to hear something that'll make you feel better yes. about the Browns? I wish I had saved the tweet, but there is someone, I don't know if they were like a radio personality or a beat writer. I want to say it was a radio personality in Pittsburgh who quoted stat lines of Joe Burrow and quoted stat lines of Matt Stafford from Sunday and said Mason Rudolph had a better, and then quoted stats from Mason Rudolph and was like, Mason Rudolph had a better stat line in his one start than both the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. And I died laughing <laughs> as a prime example of the stats <laughs> like they don't tell you everything you need right. to know and like mean, it's come cherry on. picking like you're you're picking mason rudolph one start during the regular season i don't even know who they were playing against but <laughs> versus the two teams that were in the super bowl so you got the two <laughs> best teams in the league for this season facing off against each other and you're like oh well Mason Rudolph had a better stat line in his start, and I just, I died. So at the very least, at least we're not trying to talk ourselves into a crappy quarterback. It's like, that Steelers delusion coming out in full force. Right. So, like, there's a lot of question marks around Baker, and there's a lot of uh, frustrations with him, for sure. But, like, we're not having to force ourselves to talk ourselves, like, into him, you know? I think everyone at this point... Even some of the Baker bros, not all of them, but I think even the Baker bros at this point kind of understand, like, he's got one year. He's got one year to figure his shit out and and go and pop off. Like, that's it. This is your this is your last shot, Baker. And we're not sitting here trying to talk ourselves into Baker because if he doesn't pop off this year, then he's a free agent and we don't have to worry about it anymore. We're not we're not Pittsburgh trying yeah. to talk ourselves into Mason Rudolph. And I would take Baker Mayfield a hundred times out of a hundred over Mason Rudolph any day. Agreed. Agreed. So if that, I don't know if that made you feel better or not, but I just, I, 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 that was my laugh for today. That's hilarious. I did not see that. I'll have to send it to you later. Um, well, I can't believe it took us 30 minutes before we got into this, but we have to talk about the halftime show. Yes. Oh because my God. it was amazing, but also we are now old. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are not. Okay, I tweeted this and I sent you my tweet because I'm so annoyed at the narrative of, oh, if the halftime show is meant for you, that means you're old. Say that to last year when The weekend performed or like three years ago when Lady Gaga performed. Like there have been halftime performances meant for everyone, you know, like I just and then on top of that, I am so sick of this narrative about millennials and that like they that were infantilized 
all the damn time. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of our favorite artists from like middle school is playing at the halftime show and up oh, you're old and i'm like make up your mind boomers are we old or are we children make up your mind <laughs> no i actually love the whole like old narrative because i saw and, and this is like me coming from the mom perspective but i saw someone post about how like this super bowl halftime show was for all of the parents that have listened to encanto soundtrack for the last like three <laughs> weeks straight and then they just got to like drop a beat for yes. like 25 minutes and our kids got to experience what it what it's really like what we really oh get down God. to so i want to say this uh about that halftime show like first off i think putting our biases aside because these are all our favorite artists from middle school and even you know some people i guess were in high school when they were getting big um but like that aside the show itself was so well performed. It was so smooth. It was so perfect. And I was thinking about that as well. And remember when we went to see Nelly last summer? <laughs> yes. And of course you remember when we saw Nelly last summer. And one of the things we were all talking about, like as we're leaving the concert, was one of the things that made the Nelly concert so much fun was that Nelly genuinely looked like he was having the time yes. of his life. Like yes. he was so happy and looked like he did not want to be anywhere else except on that stage in the amphitheater in Youngstown. <laughs> and that's what Dr. Dre looked like last night. And like Snoop, they were, I was smiling yes, just watching yes, them the entire time. They just, they had the same energy that Nelly had at the, at the show that we went to last summer. And that's what I was thinking about. I was like, oh, and I think that's one of the things that I think people pick up on. Like when you're genuinely happy and genuinely excited and just enjoying yourself and enjoying your performance it radiates and everyone picks up on it like it was just it was so good and i'm so happy that they acknowledged tupac without uh doing the hologram thing yeah. because i know when justin timberlake did that with prince when the super bowl was in minnesota and like they put up a hologram like that was just like i think prince said very specifically that he never wanted something like that to happen after he's gone and Justin Timberlake went and did it anyway because Justin Timberlake just does whatever he wants without consequence. So I'm really glad that they honored Tupac without doing the hologram thing. So yeah, just, the little piano like solo yes. was so oh. good. Oh my god, yeah. And I, then like uh, okay, we got to talk about Fifty Cent just descending like that. <laughs> and okay, I it took me a good twenty seconds to even realize that was him. Like I knew that was the song. But yeah. he was hanging there, and number one, his 50-cent chain was upside down, so it looked like 20 to me. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on right now? He was huge. He was huge. Listen, 2020, the pandemic, it's been rough on all of Listen, us. Listen, like, I am not judging him at all. I just, it was just the fact that he was... I'm not I'm not going to judge anybody <laughs> who gained a few pounds in the last two years. I think it was years. the fact that he was upside down that made it more yeah. apparent. Yeah, I think if he was standing upright, I don't think it would have looked as bad as it did. But um, yeah, the memes, the 50 cent memes. Oh, my gosh. And the funniest oh, thing, too, God. is if you guys haven't, there's the memes are everywhere. But like, flip They're your so phone good. the other way and look at him like hanging upside down, <laughs> right side up. It is amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, but yeah, just oh. overall, that that halftime show easily, easily one of the best that I have ever witnessed 
like in all of my years of watching the Super Bowl. So I just, they hit the nail on the head. I'm going to watch that Super Bowl halftime show at least another 50 times before the week is over. I did that with Lady Gaga, too. Like, I was in love with Lady oh, Gaga's was so performance. Good too. Remember when she just, like, fell off the thing? Yes. Like, Where she she go? Yeah, she sang God Bless America <laughs> and then just jumped out of camera frame. Yeah. So I have probably watched Lady Gaga's halftime performance more times than I can count uh, since she had it in, what was it, 2017, 2016, something like that. Yeah. Um. That like that's gonna be me with this halftime show. Like Lady Gaga, you're gonna you're gonna take a back seat for a few weeks, and I'm just gonna rewatch last night's halftime show over and over and over again. Agreed. All right, Mary, you ready to talk some calves? Yes, let's do it. Okay, yes. So the calves, I can't believe we didn't have a chance to record last week. Um, but a lot went down with the calves. Um, first of all, they traded for Karis Levert. Um, mm-hmm. didn't really give up a ton in that trade, but they desperately needed some help from an offensive perspective. So that went down. And then um, obviously there were some games in between. Uh, but the Cavs right now find themselves sitting at third in the East with a record of 35 and 22. Um, and they have one game left before the All-Star break. Um, I believe it's tomorrow night on Tuesday. Um, here's the thing, though. The Eastern Conference is stacked. It's kind of crazy if mm-hmm. you look at the standings. Um, they're, they're only two games back from first and third place. However, there's multiple teams, all with similar records. So Miami and Chicago are ahead of them. And then they find themselves kind of right smack in the middle with the Bucks, 76ers, and Celtics, like, breathing down their neck. Um, which, you know, it's, again, Meredith, like, the Cavs weren't supposed to be here right now at this is at this moment in time. Like, they're definitely right. exceeding expectations. I think last year at this time, they were, like, I don't know, 20 and something, 20 and 30, I think. And then they, they went were, on to only win yeah. two more games or something. It was like crazy. They were rough, they were rough to watch last year. Yes. And um, so, again, like we're in a spot where it's like, wow, they're exceeding expectations. But now at this point in time, you're looking at things like, OK, well, really good chance they're going to end up in the playoffs. But like, are they going to get home court advantage? Like now that's kind of what they're they're playing mm-hmm. for, which would be incredible. Um, but to go going back to this weekend, um, so they just lost their last game. They played the 76ers on Saturday night. Um, didn't look great in that game. Um, they were coming off of a, a back-to-back where they put together a strong comeback victory against the Pacers the night before. So I'll give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Um, and one thing I wanted to touch on, you know, when it comes to the Cavs, things to be concerned about. And for me, it's really the first quarter woes. They seem to just be nagging them um mm-hmm. i can't even believe i wrote this but i put the browns i put the browns in here oh god in the notes oh i see that oh my met, god it was a freudian slip i'm so used to the browns struggling right and like the cats have just been so good even in the games that they've lost this year they've been so incredibly fun to watch yes and there have been so many good things that have come out of a lot of their losses. So yeah, when you're talking about struggling, yes. uh, the Cavs at this point are not the team that comes to mind. Including. No, but I think the thing they have to focus on coming out of All-Star break, and I'm looking forward to them kind of getting some time off because, you know, they've been, they've had injuries that they're dealing with. Darius Garland's had that nagging back injury. He hasn't played. Uh, Lori Markinen has been out with an ankle injury. Um, looking forward to kind of getting the squad healthy, giving them some rest and kind of hitting this like, last few months hard but they've really struggled in the first quarter and sometimes when you're watching them it feels like their offense just sputters they can't 
make a shot. Like it is almost painful. Yeah, and to I get think, honestly, their offense going. Honestly, I think sometimes I I have I think that the injuries have a lot more to do with that than people realize because when Lowry Markinen went out, like it was noticeable. When Darius Garland is not on the court, it's noticeable. There was uh, a period of time where Jared Allen wasn't playing. So, I mean, there's been moments where you're missing your big man, Jared Allen. You're missing um, Darius Garland. You're We're now missing Lowry Markinen. And I think those pieces missing affect the team a lot more than we realize because it's they are a true team team there's never one superstar every single week that's scoring 20 to 30 points and getting all the triples and getting all the doubles and blah 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 like there's always a different guy every single night that's stepping up and and taking charge Kevin Love has been that guy a lot and I think that's sometimes we forget that certain pieces do affect this offense so I and I think that's kind of where where these like first quarter struggles are kind of coming from. Like they need to figure out, okay, well we don't have Darius Garland in the lineup tonight. How are we going to scheme this play that includes him very heavily? So I think that's sort of where it comes from. I think you're right about the injuries. I think if they can get better and get all their pieces together, like if this entire team is healthy, you know, come playoff time, I think they're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, I think it's apparent, like Ricky Rubio going down, just the impact that he had to kind of yeah. run the offense. And, you know, Darius Gar- Garland does a great job at that. And, and it definitely feels like they're limiting his minutes these past couple of games that he's played in. So I mm-hmm. think that that also becomes a bit difficult. And then with um, Karis LeVert joining the team, you know, obviously he's still getting his footing and finding out, you know, what his role is going to be. And I'm hoping that they that he gives them a little bit of an offensive boost. And he was pretty critical against the game against the Pacers, um, his former team, on Friday. Mm-hmm. I think he scored, like, the final, I don't know, six or eight points down the stretch um, and came up pretty clutch. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think once they get healthy and hopefully they come out of all-star break, um, getting their – getting everything kind of – back together and gelling but you know against the 76ers it was a little bit disappointing because it just seemed like they didn't have an answer for Joel Embiid and you know these are teams that they're going to be facing come playoff time potentially although I'll tell you what so in regards to to Karis LeVert I think one of the things that I've been really happy about with the addition of him to this team is that he's almost an identical player as Colin Sexton is Um, like one of the things that I heard coming out of Uh, Indianapolis is that you know when he gets the ball in his hand he's gonna make a play and that's one thing that you can really rely on him for but plays have a tendency to die with him and that was always my biggest complaint about Colin Sexton yeah was that he just never passed enough like ball movement just stopped when Colin Sexton got his hands on the ball and we've seen with this team that's not the case like you've got to pass you have to involve everybody on the floor and so the fact that they have added Karis LeVert I think people worried about Colin Sexton's future with the team because of that. I think that tells us that the Cavs still want Colin Sexton there. Like they wouldn't have brought in a piece almost identical to him if they didn't value who he was as a yeah. player yep. and like how he wanted to play. So if Karis LeVert and he has been Karis LeVert fits into this offense, then that tells me that when Colin Sexton is healthy, he's going to fit into this office because he wasn't really a part of this team with this particular style of play. He got injured before they started playing like this. 
Uh, I think that it's going to be a difficult conversation for the Cavs because I have a feeling that either him or Karis Levert's going to become a bench player because of it. But like, that doesn't bother me at all. I'm really, really hoping that they do have that team mentality when Colin Sexton comes back because that was one of the names that kept popping up leading up to the trade deadline was Colin Sexton's name and and moving him and getting pieces for him. But no, Kobe Altman kept him. He is still on this team. And it might be a rough offseason for him because he's got to negotiate a contract. But the fact that they brought in a player that's almost identical to his style of play, that tells me that they see Colin Sexton as a piece in this team going forward. So that'll make Brittany happy. Yes, agreed. Well, yeah, and obviously the contract is is really the the biggest thing they have. That's going to be out. yeah. Um, yeah, he's going to have to be. Negotiations are going to have to go well, and yeah. then if they do, they're going to have to figure out you know who's going on the bench and who's going to be a starter. Right, and one name you mentioned that I want to talk talk about is Kevin Love, the resurgence of Kevin Love. I mean. Can we talk about how, like, just a year ago we we were laughing about the fact that Kevin Love might have been, like, the worst signing the Cavs have ever had, and we can't believe that we gave him all of this money, and why did so we do that? Money. Yeah. Like, why would we give this veteran all this money, and the Cavs were rebuilding and all this stuff, and now Kevin Love looks younger than he did back in 2016 when the Cavs were going on their playoff run, and I... Love it so much. I am so happy to see him just flourish in this role. And I was talking to my mom about this like a week ago. We were just talking about how, you know, with Kevin Love, when he was on the team with LeBron and Kyrie and that playoff run, like it almost felt like he was like the odd man out. Like of Mm -hmm. the big three, he was the one that just didn't quite fit in. Like, do you remember those comments from LeBron? Like you either fit in or you fit out. And how I feel like that passive aggressively was directed at Kevin Love. Did I, I just make that up? That. Do you remember that? I don't know. Why do I feel like there was like something that happened between them? Also, remember, I didn't move to Cleveland until 2017. So if this was like a playoff run, like if this was championship year LeBron comments, that was before I got here. So I may not remember them. Okay. We'll, well, ha- we'll I- have to look them up. But yeah, Kevin Love was not, he was not fitting. He was not fitting in. I think, I think he was letting his frustrations last year get the better of him because it's really, really hard to sell rebuilding to a veteran player who has already won an NBA championship. Because it, I, I, to me, you know, if I'm Kevin Love, that would feel like taking a step back. But I think one of the reasons why he found the fountain of youth is that he's finally seeing Kobe Altman's plan fall into place. You know, he's, he's, he didn't, I'm not sure if he trusted the process at first, but now he's sort of seeing the fruits of the labor and, you know, seeing rewards now that he's stuck it out. And I think that's kind of probably why he's all of a sudden scoring 25 points off the bench every night, you know? Yeah. Okay, wait, I went back and found it. So yes, okay, this, okay. I'm not, I'm remembering correctly. And this was, this would have been before your time. It was 2015. Yeah, so yeah. LeBron James tweeted, stop trying to fit a, Stop trying to find a way to fit out and just fit in. Be a part of something special. Just my thoughts. Okay, so the reason this is this was controversial. Number one, this was very passive aggressive subtweet, right? That's that's of course. typical LeBron James fashion. But Kevin Love like used the term "fit out" during the preseason, and he was talking about how he was comfortable like 
and just not trying to fit in so much. And he talked about how um, then LeBron talked about like with a small group of reporters that it wasn't a coincidence. Like that tweet wasn't a coincidence, but he like had initially denied it. So then Kevin had went on to say um, that, you know, he was in one of the toughest situations he's, he's had to deal with. And he was still trying to find like, his limited role, like what he meant to the offense. So I think just remembering all of those things, like, yes, they won a championship in 2016, but like it wasn't easy and it was pretty tumultuous. And I didn't feel like Kevin Love at times was having fun. Like that team circulated and ran through LeBron James. If LeBron James was having a bad game, the entire team had a bad game. If LeBron James had an attitude, it just kind of played off of the rest of the team. And I think what's so great about this young Cavs team they're young, yes, but they have some key veteran presence. And I feel like their their youngness is is wearing on the guys that are veterans. I mean, Rondo talked about this, I think, last week or something, too, about saying, like, these guys are, like, keeping him young. And, like, he feels like he doesn't – it's just such a different attitude that they both have. And Oh, my God. I love Rajon Rondo so much. Yes. and, and I like, was so excited when the Cavs acquired him. I adore him yeah and I think they expected him to maybe step in a little bit more and have more of an impact um like Rubio I don't know if that's necessarily working out but whatever I mean he's definitely made some impact plays but I think between him and Kevin Love you know this team is keeping them young like they're young players the young core like they just have a really strong balance there's no egos involved like there's no attitude it's like they're all just having fun together and they're winning so what's more fun than that Right. And one of the things that the Cavs have done, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, and I know everyone has kind of touched on this at some point, is the fact that the Cavs zagged while everyone else yes. is zigging. You know, they're going for guys that are 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, like the big man. You know, they're going big, big man, and they're being successful with it. And then on top of that, they're playing team ball and being successful with it. So I kind of, I, not kind of, I hope that the rest of the, because the NBA is a copycat league. Yes. Agreed. I hope that the rest of the league tries to emulate what the Cavs are doing in both getting the big men and also playing purely team ball. Like that's one of the reasons why I loved Andre Drummond so much, because I think the Cavs tried to do that zag with Andre Drummond and it didn't really work out. Because, you know, he just, I don't know, it, it was it was rough with him last year and then he didn't want to play and then it just became a whole thing. So I was disappointed that the Andre Drummond thing didn't work out because that's what I wanted to see with the Cavs. I wanted to see them be successful bringing back the big man. It didn't work out with Andre Drummond, but it's working out with the other big men that they're bringing in like Jared Allen and drafting Evan Mobley. Like they're just, yeah, they're doing it. And, and those guys are not a dime a dozen. No, like it is. It's I, really, really difficult to find athletic guys, you know, over six, three, over six, four. Yeah, and they're the a nightmare matchup for a lot yes. of teams. And that's what I think they're thriving on is their defense ability because their offense, it has its ups and downs, but they've been really able to rely on their defensive um, performance to be able to keep them in games and to surmount these comebacks that they've had to to go back and and fight for a win. But Meredith, this is a perfect segue because Kobe Altman has kind of been the mastermind behind all of this. Like you said, 
they zagged when everyone else was zigging and they changed the entire identity of the calves. Like in one season, they flipped it around. One season. I know, season. it's incredible. I mean, give him credit. Like he was, he drafted Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley, right? Hit on all of mm-hmm. them. The trades that he's made to do the zags, Jared Allen, Markinen, Rubio, Levert. I mean, the pieces that he's and put Rajon, together. Don't, don't forget Yes, Ray John. How can I forget? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I do think like Kobe Altman, I think a year ago, we were all probably sitting here saying like, is he going to get Fire fired? Him. <laughs> yes. Yes. I remember there was a lot of, you know, Kobe Altman's the worst GM in the league. He doesn't know what he's doing. Fire Kobe Altman. And like, the thing is that he, he had a vision. It's just the pieces that he had last year couldn't execute his vision. The pieces this year can. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Cavs have seen such a drastic turnaround in such a short time because Kobe Altman had a vision and he did not give up on it. And he kept pushing and he kept pushing and he found the players who could execute his vision. He found the coach. I think we need to give JV Bickerstaff yes. a lot of credit because he has just been outstanding. Like I just, I do not have enough good things to say about JV Bickerstaff. I was excited when they brought him in too, because a lot of people in Memphis were really sad to see him go. Like, that's how you know you have somebody good is when the team they're coming from is not happy that they're like, same thing with uh, Andrew Barry and Philadelphia, like Philadelphia didn't want to let him go, but he came back to the Browns anyway. And I think that was, you know, there was a similar situation with JB Bickerstaff leaving Memphis to come here. So I think that he and Kobe Altman on the same page, they've got their, what's that? What's our favorite alignment? That's our favorite yes. word, you know? So yeah. So he just... He had a plan and he stuck to it and he wasn't going to give up on it because I think he knew that if he found the right pieces, this team was going to be dangerous. And he was absolutely right. Yeah. All right. So let's touch on the all-star game and then we'll, we're going to get out of here. So um, breaking news on this Valentine's day, Jared Allen is an all-star. So originally snubbed from the all-star game, but we'll step Mm -hmm. in as a replacement for James Harden. He deserved to get in the first place. First of all, this is BS. Yeah. That it took James Harden not being able to play to get in. Yeah, and I almost wonder if they didn't pick him for the reserves because of Darius Garland, because I don't know that they took more than one player from the same team for any of the reserves. At least I don't think. I'll have to look it up, but I don't think they did. So if I think if the NBA was looking at plucking multiple players from the same team for the reserves, I think that Darius Garland and Jared Allen would have made the reserves at the same time. But you know what? Thanks, James. We appreciate you because, right. you know, it, it sucks that someone had to drop out for him to get a spot, but he absolutely deserves it. 100%. And then um, Mobley, Garland, and Allen will team up together for the skills challenge, which I'm like actually really looking forward to the All-Star weekend. I've yeah. always really enjoyed All-Star weekend, um, regardless of where it's at. Like, I, I think it's really fun and exciting and engaging. Um, what are you looking forward to, Meredith? Are you going to watch it? Are you going to watch the skills challenge with our Cavs guys? Are you going to watch the game? Dunk contest? Three-point contest? What's your thing? Oh, my God. I'm going to watch everything. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I think my favorite part of All-Star Weekend every year is probably the Rising Stars game. I just, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I love the Rising Stars game. And it's just nice to see a lot of the younger guys really get a chance to shine because if you're a younger guy on a team like if you're a young guy on say the lakers 
you're not going to get your chance to shine. There's no room for you to shine when you're playing behind LeBron James and other, you know, and, and his other friends. Like if you're playing behind James Harden, you know, you don't really have that time. If you're playing behind Giannis, you know, it's really hard for you to kind of break through. So with the Cavs, it's <laughs> it's easy because, you know, the stars are on display in, in Cleveland. But for the other teams, a lot of their younger guys don't really get that opportunity. Like, I feel like I don't hear a lot about Cade Cunningham. And I don't know if he's going to be in the Rising Stars game or not, but I hope he is. So that's one of the reasons why I like it. I love seeing the younger guys. I love seeing the future of the league. Um, and the dunk contest. Always the dunk contest. Yes, agreed. Um, always fun. Always some uh, good performances and unexpected things happening. But, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see the city shine, um, to to have some light shine on Cleveland, to have all the stars come in. Um, and like you said, like for, for the rest of the country and NBA fans and NBA Twitter, to see some really fun Cavs guys that they probably have no idea or haven't watched all year. Well, and also the Cleveland has just been – the center of a lot of things in the past few years. Like we had the draft last year and we had the major league baseball all-star yep. game in, you know, 2019 hosted world series games in 2016 had, you know, Cavs, you know, championships in 2016 and finals in, in 2017, like Cleveland has been on display. And one of the things that I notice after every single one of these events like this is that people who either, hadn't really been to Cleveland before or haven't spent a significant amount of time in Cleveland, they always walk away saying, oh my God, that was so much fun. This city is so great. Every single time. I don't think I've heard anything negative about Cleveland from the people who travel in for these big events. And that's kind of what I'm excited for because this city hasn't had the NBA crowd here since 2017. And it was rough in 2017 because the Cavs got swept in the NBA finals that year. So we haven't really had that basketball crowd get to see the city in a while. So they get to come back and we get to remind them why Cleveland is so great. I just, I remember how complimentary beat reporters were after the MLB all-star game, how much fun people had at the draft, even though there were a lot of things closed down due to COVID. So I just, Cleveland shines every single time the city hosts big events like this. And I always find it funny because there's there always seems to be some shadow of a doubt leading up to it. Like there's always some weird storyline going on somewhere where people will be like, why is it in Cleveland? And I'm like, well, get your ass here and we'll show you why it's in Cleveland. Yes. Agreed. Well, Meredith, that wraps us up for tonight. It was a fun show. Uh, lots of fun things to talk about. Um, as always, you guys can find us on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you guys get your podcasts, be sure to shout us out on Twitter. Um, leave us a, a review. We love to hear your feedback. And um, as always, we look forward to talking to you guys all again next week.